0: Welcome to TNS, the New School at Commonweal, a collaborative it, don't, don't, don't. learning project exploring nature, don't culture, it, don't, don't, don't. and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Janie Brown and host Michael Lerner. It,
1: don't, don't, don't. Don't it, Welcome, everybody. I'm Kira Epstein. I'm the program coordinator for the New School at Commonweal. And today we are welcoming. Callanish Society founder Janie Brown back to the New School to talk with Michael and this is a conversation we are co-presenting with Commonweal's Cancer Choices program. So again, thank you for joining us. We are recording this conversation and we'll have produced audio and video files available on our website and on the Cancer Choices website. You can also find all of our recordings on the New School's uh, other media channels, that's SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We have many other conversations coming up, but you can check our website for the new school, which is tns.commonweal.org, or you can check on Cancer Choices' website. Uh, We have a special conversation coming up with Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, the longtime medical director of the Commonweal Cancer Help Program. She has published a new children's book, which is wonderful. I just got my copy, and Michael will be talking with her about that. We will uh, produce the recording, and it'll be posted on our media sites afterwards. With that, I will turn things over to Michael. Again, thank you for joining us at the New School of Commonweal.
2: Thank you, Kira, and welcome to all. I noticed that uh, Julia Rowland just joined us from Smith Center, and she's such a beloved friend of so many years who's made such an immense contribution to the field. So, Julia, so glad you and Lisa and all of your colleagues at Smith Center, we're just so happy to have you all and have uh, uh, everyone from around the the country and from both Canada and the United States uh, joining us. We're so pleased. So, um, Janie and I are going to start, and we encourage you all to join us for just a moment of quiet together, and then I will ask Janie to read us a poem before uh, we begin to dive into the work, and I introduce her in a little more depth. So let's just all go into uh, quiet for a few moments together. Peace, peace. Janie Brown, welcome back to the New School and to Cancer Choices. So glad you're here. Mm, thank you so
3: much, Michael, for having me again. Yeah, it's wonderful. Can
2: you start us off with a poem, please? Yes, I'd love to.
3: I have a few poems that I just thought of this morning. So uh, this one, as I think about our learnings from retreat, which is really uh what we're going to be talking about this morning in relationship to uh, cancer choices. And I'll say a bit more about that later, but I'll start with this poem called Becoming Ourselves, E.E. Cummings. We do not believe in ourselves until someone reveals that something deep inside us is valuable, worth listening to, worthy of our trust, sacred to our touch. Once we believe in ourselves, we can risk curiosity, wonder, spontaneous delight, or any experience that reveals the human spirit. So if I was to think about retreat, this poem uh, really speaks to me of one of the essences, I believe, and I'd like to read it one more time if I could, Michael. Becoming Ourselves, E.E. Cummings. We do not believe in ourselves until someone reveals that something deep inside us is valuable worth listening to worthy of our trust sacred to our touch once we believe in ourselves we can risk curiosity wonder spontaneous delight or any experience that reveals the human spirit so what i love about that is it requires relationship to become ourselves in uh Retreat certainly is uh, brings to us the depth of
2: connection. We'll talk more about that. But I,
3: I just love that poem.
2: Beautiful, Jeannie. And we might even hazard the thought that for someone to reveal that to us requires not only relationship, but at the end of the day, for them to really reveal it to us, it requires love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's not yeah. just relationship. It's... It's, you know, what Carl Rogers called unconditional positive regard,
4: Mm -hmm.
2: which psychotherapeutic (laughs) regard. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Janie, for those who don't know you, um, I'd like to introduce you in a little more depth. Um, I'll I'll first of all, describe you as you describe yourself to the world. you were raised in Scotland, educated with a master's in psychology at St Andrews University, and then a master's in nursing at the University of British Columbia. And you worked for many years as an oncology nurse and clinical nurse specialist at the BC Cancer uh, at BC Cancer in Vancouver. In 1995, inspired by the Commonwealth Cancer Help Program, you founded the Callanish Society a grassroots nonprofit for people living with and dying from cancer in Vancouver. You co-produced a documentary film, I'm Still Here, Young Adults Living Life with Recurrent Cancer. And your extraordinary book, Radical Acts of Love, 20 Conversations to Inspire Hope at the End of Life, describes your work of 30 years working with families with cancer. So that's the official version. And the unofficial version of our friendship is um, that uh, we have both found each other deeply inspiring uh, co-partners who have been Faithful to these week long cancer help programs Mm -hmm. for many years. For us, it's 36 years, Mm -hmm. uh, and we're starting our 215th week long retreat um, tomorrow, actually, and a Sunday, actually. And you have now done how many at Calendar? We're
3: on to 103, I believe, so we're a little behind you, but. uh, You know, started in '95,
2: yeah. So if we add uh, 103 to 218, <laughs> we get 318, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So so we've we've kind of devoted our lives to this, mm-hmm. and um, and not only that, but just found such a profound resonance with each other in ways that. I would say, strengthen and encourage us both. Mm -hmm. This is something worth devoting our lives to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I said to you before we went on, I said, you know, I'm just going to go for it.
3: (laughs) As you do, I replied.
2: (laughs) And You know, what I would really say is, I think we both hold this not only as the best work that we've done in our lives, but as sacred work, mm-hmm. as holy work, mm-hmm. as work that connects us to however we understand, you know, whatever, it, it doesn't matter whether we think of it as the divine or God or Buddhist emptiness or, uh, or a completely secular vision of this that, you know, just this is how we make the deepest meaning in some existential sense that that suggests that all there is is what is physically in front of us. I mean, you can hold it in any way you want, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as long as there is this sense of this is where the deepest human connection, as I experience it, is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So that's my take. What's your take?
3: <laughs> well, as I, I as I listen to you, Michael, of course, I remember the beginnings. And I'm so struck with how a moment of inspiration, which was really the Bill Moyer series, Healing in the Mind, where you did your first Commonwealth Cancer Help Program documentary that I saw. And, you know, these moments are very profound where there's some sort of awake, awakening, I would call it, where... I'd been working in the cancer field for a long time and there was something missing for me personally about this kind of holistic way of um, seeing the world and seeing one another in, you know, in this experience of cancer. And so when I I came down to Commonweal after that documentary and I met you and Rachel and um, you both, and I've said this many times in different conversations with you, but... You know, when we meet people who are living a life, a certain kind of life of integrity, and who are, um, you know, offering themselves as a human, you know, who happens to have some experience and expertise, but humanity comes first. That's what I met at Commonwealth, and I met this team and came back to Vancouver. And Rachel, you know, challenged me and said, We'll just pull together a team of people you love. Um, and that you want to spend a lot of time with, and of course, little did I know that what what would become a, a beginning at Commonweal would become my life's work. And it's exactly what you said, Michael, and and so I just you know want to thank you again for you know returning, actually coming up to Vancouver at, when we were twenty years in after having met you, and uh, coming to see what we were doing, and you know it's really something to have a mentor who. Um, you know, show show. You've shown me the way, really, to to dedicate, which I think is my nature too, to to dedicate to the depth um, as much as I can into what is this experience of cancer for people, and and what can I bring to it. And so many of us, you know, on this, in, in this webinar today, have dedicated their life to, you know, being of service. And so I, I I'm so grateful that <clears throat> I've been able to sort of channel my life's work in, you know, and build community, which I think we've all done, you know, community. I, I'm not me on my own at Kalanish, like you're not you at your own at Commonweal. There's so many people at our back. And so this beautiful relationship of heart starts right here, starts with our connection and then builds to our, you know, people who are at our backs. And I just want to thank the Cancer Choices team who are on the panel today, you know, for just that dedication to the years of work to put this beautiful, incredible website um, <clears throat> into place, cancerchoices.org. And every time I open that website <clears throat> go into it, I learn something. Um, and I, you know, I've been in this work like you for many, many years. And so I'm just, I'm just I feel the web uh, of connection at our backs and i feel the people who have passed on at our backs that we've known many many people you know who have lived with cancer and died from cancer and i feel them all present in our learning and our continued you know evolutionary process that we're in here as we you know keep learning and moving forward with our program so truly grateful that i've been able to do this you know i started kalanish at 36 i don't know how old you were michael when you started Commonweal, somewhere around 40 something um, was it
2: i I started well, Commonwealth's forty six years old. Okay. Yeah. seventy nine. so yeah,
3: yeah, do the math, right? <laughs> yeah. So we were young and I'm pretty naive. and um I was. i you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but <clears throat> now i'm sixty four. so and here we are at over a hundred retreats. And that i I really believe the retreats have made me who I am. I I can't say it any other way. And I you know it moves me to say that because every person who comes through the door of retreat who's weary and tired and you know looking and longing for something something that that really means something deep. Um to them. It's, it's, a, it's a new beginning, isn't it? It's a new relationship. And I think one of the biggest learnings for me in this retreat journey I've been on with so many people with cancer is that I've learned to say yes uh, to, to um, first of all, to meet strangers over and over again, these eight people that come and, and spend a week with us and i've learned to know that however long that relationship is for whether it's just for that week and we never meet again or whether it becomes a kind of a lifelong relationship is really powerful to say yes knowing that that you know that we may part and we may part through obviously circumstances and we may part through death and so that kind of yes to life. I mean, I was raised in a Scottish family, wonderful, l- lucky me, a loving Scottish family. But, you know, this this idea of kind of opening and, you know, learning about what emotions are and learning about how to, you know, how to help people express themselves and doing that for myself. It's been an incredible, incredible journey. So um, I always say learning to love strangers who you will lose possibly and likely at many times who you will have a short or a long-term relationship with, but it will end either with my death or their death. And, you know, that's a, that's a really um, difficult thing to enter into, but one that I would never, um, I could never give up for another life. You know, I can't know anyway, but um, I, someone said recently this week, I would never want to work so closely with people who, are going to die um, because I don't want to feel that pain. And so I th- think one of my greatest learnings, and I'd love to hear what you, th- you think too, Michael, is that learning to love, you also learn to grieve and you learn to say a full hello, a full yes um, to a relationship that, again, may end. And... Um, and will likely end in some form or another. So I've learned to, I've learned to grieve. And I think so many people in our culture say, I just don't know how to grieve. I don't know how to feel the pain. And, you know, as Mary Oliver says so beautifully, you know, let your heart break open in the grief rather than close up. Um, So there's lots to say about learnings, but I would say the power of learning to love a stranger <laughs> gives me hope for the world. You know, you sit in these circles and the first night, people tell their stories as in your your program too. And when you listen to stories, you start, you activate, this heart activates compassion almost immediately when you're in community where you, as you said, with this unconditional positive regard that we know as love, that something happens within us that bonds us deeply. So after 24 hours on retreat, you can truly say, I love each one of these people, which again, is a remarkable thing. And I, I can't really put my left brain to that, but I know what it feels like. And I know, you know what it feels like. And at the end of the week, it's like lifelong friends. And that's a real, I mean, a gift that's beyond measure, really that we have friends all over the world and thank you to all of you who are here for this conversation today, seeing your names pop up. I saw my sister's name who's in London. I thought, oh, she's here, you know, so yeah, so 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 lovely to, um, hi Kate, I'll see you very soon tomorrow night, actually. So anyway, thanks for the, the question of learnings is, is really a deep one for me as I sit and ponder, you know, these almost 30 years of, of this retreat work.
2: That's beautiful, Janie. Um, I, before we started this morning, um, I just sat down and made a list. It's very haphazard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what I've learned, what maybe what we've learned. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it came in two lists of seven, uh, <laughs> what we've learned. And uh, I would call the experience of these retreats transformative for most, but not all participants. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, average retreat at the end of the week, I would say four or five, sometimes all eight, but many of them experience it as transformative. Almost everybody thinks it's incredibly helpful, Mm -hmm. but I won't use the word transformative for everyone. However, sometimes people discover the transformative dimension after they've been there. So it's not necessarily... But uh, then the second point is, most of it sticks. In other words, it's not just you have a transformative workshop or weekend or week, but a lot of it seems to stick with people. So a lot of people, years later, we just did... An alumni day uh, uh, conversation that several of the people here were on, and you know, people were saying, "I came in nineteen ninety nine, or I came in two thousand six, or this is one of the two most." One person said, "The cancer help program and getting a service dog were the two biggest transformative events." Mm-hmm. You hear that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. The third is that people remain deeply grateful, and the most concrete evidence of that is that both Kalanosh and the Cancer Help Program are entirely supported by contributions from alumni who've gone before. So mm-hmm. it's an ongoing gift. There's not like some big foundation supported it. And mm-hmm. I fact that we charge only half of what it costs, you know, to put these on. So and we give scholarships. So mm-hmm. So it's an ongoing gift, which is an extraordinary thing. Uh, and um, so then some people stay close, as you say. So others go on to their lives, they don't stay close, but they're an awful lot mm-hmm. who remain part of the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think very important is that we both emphasize healing into both living and dying. Mm-hmm. and i think that's critical mm-hmm. that there are a lot of retreats that don't include the death and dying dimension that in some way or another about quote keeping a positive attitude uh neither of us believes that keeping a positive attitude is the way to do this work it's like experiencing whatever comes up exactly uh, yeah. and very profoundly including uh the living and dying mm-hmm. and Finally, on this list, um, that for both of us, I think it's fair to say. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is by far the best experience, best life experience we've had. Yeah, it's not just about offering something to somebody else. In a sense, it's deeply selfish. Yeah, yeah. You know, i I would rather be in a cancer help program once, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. than. Else, I could be. Mm-hmm. I always try to be on my birthday, and uh, because it's the greatest gift I I could imagine. Mm-hmm. So that was my list of what we've learned, and then I'll I'll go on for one more and ask you for your thoughts. Mm-hmm. The second part is what it requires, and we both have found that it requires one person. Decides that they are going to dedicate their lives to this, mm-hmm. and that what happens is that other people who want to dedicate their lives to it join in that commitment, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, as when you asked Rachel Remen at the end of the Commonwealth Tradecraft of the Commonwealth Cancer Help Program retreat, what you should do, and you mentioned it, but I loved her words to you, which was, you know, you said, What should I do? and she said, Well. You go home, you find your people, and you start.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I love that formulation of it. Mm-hmm. So we needed to make a life commitment. We needed to gather our people. And then a third thing that I learned from you was you said for this to work, how many stones does it take? <laughs> Referring to the calendar stones. And, and we both agree, you know, it takes at least three stones in a circle. Stones meaning people who can hold anything that will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think both of us have more than three stones in the circle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have four, five, six stones. Mm-hmm. When you have that level of the number of people who can hold anything that mm-hmm. will happen, mm-hmm. it creates a sense of safety in going to depth. Mm-hmm. Exactly. People know that they can go to depth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing it requires is selecting the participants with care.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: This is not just for anyone. First of all, they have to be physically able to be there. But also, it requires a certain maturity of, you know, a a certain psychological maturity Mm -hmm. that they can hold it together during this week. You know, I know we screen for that. Um, This is a hard one to say because we have so many friends at Harmony Hill and uh, Smith Center who have done incredible shorter retreats. And and I deeply honor profoundly what Harmony Hill and Smith Center have done with shorter retreats. But I think it's only honest to say that the reason we've stayed with a week and I'd, I'd say a lot of the people at both Harmony Hill and Smith Center would say the same thing. It's just that financially, it didn't turn out to be possible to hold the week-long thing. Right. But there's a lot to be said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the week-long format. And I would say a week is the minimum mm-hmm. of what I would really want. I mean, mm-hmm. I ideally, uh, Virginia Veach used to say this. You know, she wanted nine or ten days, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, I would say that for a certain kind of work, Mm -hmm. people can get it. Actually, you know, we have our month-long online sanctuary programs, which are profound. Mm -hmm. Smith Center and Harmony Hill both do uh, shorter programs, and and amazing things happen. Uh, People can get it very quickly, but there's a certain thing that happens in these week-long retreats that I think it needs. Point I would say yeah. is that it really helps to have a healing environment. Yeah, uh, well, you have a healing environment. We have one at Commonwealth. So a healing environment is, and the seventh and final thing I'd say on this list is it takes real skills to facilitate.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You mm-hmm. know, it isn't, and I remember Shanti Norris from mm-hmm. Smith Center when she came on her first Cancer Help program. She said to me, you know, Michael, I thought originally. That you just had these slots and you fill them with people in these different roles, and you can do a cancer help program. She realized, no, it's mm-hmm. who the people are mm-hmm. and the depth of their skills. Right. So the bottom line is lots of people show up at Commonwealth and they say, Oh, we want to put a cancer help program at this place, that place, and you know, help us do it. And yes, but we've watched many people. Try to sustain week-long cancer help program. Right. It's hard. It's hard financially. Right. Uh, it's hard in so many ways. And it, it like I would say, you know, if somebody says I need brain surgery for my cancer, I want to find the best surgeon, right? Mm-hmm. You know, not mm-hmm. to find the best. <clears throat> when it comes to the kind of psychic healing slash surgery whatever you want to call it that takes place in a cancer health program it requires skills at the same level mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a surgeon or an oncologist requires mm-hmm. so anyway, i'm just putting it out there of <laughs> it your reflections on all that
3: yeah i've got a lot of <clears throat> a lot of things came up for me as you were talking of course that I think that the at the crux of it, my inquiry all these years has been, you know, what is the medicine? Like, what is this medicine that creates this possibility for a transformative experience? Um, and I, I'm so interested in that. I'm still interested in that. And I'm still kind of in awe at what happens when you bring a group of eight people into a community of steady presence is what I would say. I love the image of the stones. You know, I've often said the Kalanish stones are, that's what I learned from the Kalanish stones when I went to the Island of Lewis was this circle of, you know, the depth of steady, you know, as stones hold that, you know, putting your hand on a stone, you just feel that. And I, I think that that takes practice, you know, and you know, this beautiful healing circles community that's just developed over the last, you know, six years, you know this this holding presence in a circle like that that sounds like oh yeah well we know how to listen and we know how to but one of the things I learned from you early Michael was your concept of healing conditions you know what are the conditions for healing because really there's retreats there's different kinds of retreats but these are healing retreats and we you know our official name is Callanish Healing Retreat Society so the the word healing is very deliberate because it's a different a different kind of retreat that has healing at the center.
0: You're listening to a TNS Conversation with Janie Brown and host Michael Lerner.
3: So how I understand healing, I think all of us understand it in different ways, but that um, there's some sort of, uh, Mark Nepo has a wonderful term, this incorruptible spot of grace at our core, you know, that we're born with this, you know, who... the incorruptible spot of grace at our core. So if if and he he believes and I I really I really uh, appreciate this is that we're basically we're deconstructing the layers of the constructed self and personality and identities on retreat. I really think there is some way that when you bring people into a steady, safe, loving environment, that we want to let go of all these constructed aspects of ourselves. I mean, we're happy to, nobody knows our last name, you know, at the end of the retreat, oh, you have a last name or you have a profession. And so much of the retreat, we're not sharing at that level of the personality of all the things we've done with our lives. We're sharing it really at what I call the soul level and what makes that soul appear? You know, there's so many people who speak of that, but I think it takes a very specific set of conditions. And so, you know, I think people try to do retreats and they set it up and they have their agendas and their teaching tools and their, you know, wonderful. So many wonderful retreats and workshops exist out there. But this is, the more I work on retreat over all these years, the more it's like back to the bare bones of, you know, how to be, present as you 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 know you spoke of carl rogers but what does that really mean i mean it re- it's really a, a powerful thing to learn every time we go in a circle we learn how do i hold steady now in this somebody's angry somebody's weeping you know how do i just sit still and trust that there's an opening there's a there's a there's a a conspiracy to heal in each of us and a longing to be whole, I really believe right up to the moment we die and probably beyond, you know, this desire to be ourselves as E.E. Cummings says. And so if this practice over all these years, I mean, I think back to the early days in circle, you know, with my team, my wonderful team and I, you know, we were really kind of, I could feel my own, um, uh, instability in a sense, just like, how am I going to manage this? You know, things happen. And I think the healing circles community are really, they're really deeply in this practice of learning now. How do you sit through all of it? And I think what it requires and what I've learned more, and even on this last retreat I did, I've had a bigger um, awareness of this, that it is not my agenda for someone to heal. You know, it's not, I'm not saying this is what you need to do to heal. It comes from deep inside and it's, and it starts to light up. You know, when you're in an environment where you truly can be yourself and you can truly speak of, you know, we say you can speak the unspeakable here and people do. They, They try it on. Well, can I really speak the unspeakable? And they say something that reveals a very deep vulnerability. And lo and behold, you know, the circle holds it and mirrors back that there's beauty in that, that that's your life experience that I, you know, I honor it. I'll just read a quick poem just as I'm speaking. Can I read a poem that you know probably well it's called The Healing Time because I think what you said is we're you know we're setting deliberately like the people who set the Kalanish stones deliberately placing the stones it wasn't just a nat- it's not a natural wonder it was humans in in connection with the land and in connection with the sky deliberately placing for the purpose we now understand that was a lot of ceremony and healing happened in those places. So in our retreats, I think we we're doing that. We're deliberately placing our people who've cultivated a steadiness to say, I will be with you no matter what. And so what a beautiful repair often of early life for many people where, you know, for reasons we understand, for pain that came through our ancestry, through our parents, grandparents, that people can't hold steady for us, you know, who can't, who couldn't be there in the way. So the deep repair at the level of attachment, beautiful, clear and clean attachment that happens in a circle like that. I think it is so, um, people say that, you know, I, I, you know, when you're, when they're having massage or they're having body work or they're being, you know, touched in some way with, you know, that they, they say that's the original bond Something's repairing. So it's profound if we're thinking that these repairs, and I see that and people talk about that. So this Healing Time, Pesha Gertler's poem, it's just, it really always touches me, this poem. I'll just read it by way of explaining a little bit more about how I feel this medicine works. The Healing Time by Pesha Gertler. Finally, on my way to yes, I bump into all the places where I said no to my life. All the untended wounds, the red and purple scars, those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again. Where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them one by one close to my heart and I say, Holy, holy. So this poem to me is exactly what happens when there's an environment of steady, loving, safe presence is that those messages, those coded messages, those, I love the hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, somehow it's like they just rise to the surface and they rise in the form of a story or a gesture or some kind of expression through art, through creativity. Somehow those messages get to surface in the world in an environment where they can be received fully and I do think that yeah
2: could you read it again
3: yes Mm. the healing time by Pesha Gertler finally on my way to yes I bump into all the places where I said no to my life all the untended wounds the red and purple scars those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again, where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them one by one close to my heart, and I say, holy,
2: holy. Mm, So beautiful. Yeah. Well, one of the many things you are in your gifts, and, and let me say that, part of the beauty of of, uh, Kalanish and your work is that, yes, you were inspired by Commonweal, but you went on to create something absolutely as beautiful. And and we've had you come down and co-lead our retreats. And so we continuously learn from each other. There are these learnings that come down through both of these. And I do want to say, you you mentioned HealingCirclesGlobal.org, which Uh, Our colleague Diana Lindsay uh, and her late husband Kelly started with us and which are now healing circles are spreading around the world and our colleagues at Smith Center are doing them. And um, I do want to emphasize that while we both believe that there is something transformative that can happen in a week long retreat, I just want to emphasize that transformation takes place in healing circles all the time mm-hmm. and the ability of things that are ongoing as opposed to just a week have mm-hmm. their own incredible power yeah. um and we both know that um you know profound healing can take place on a plane ride sitting next to a stranger um you know um so I don't want to fetishize the week long retreats. Yeah, yeah. Something incredibly powerful can happen in that container.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, but at the same time, it can happen in an instant. It can happen somebody walking alone in a forest. You know. So mm-hmm. I don't want to fetishize it. But having said that, one of the qualities that you bring to this that you help me become more conscious of is that you are consciously um, a student of, and in fact, a master ritualist. And I've always known that ritual in the Cancer help Program was profound. Um, Wayne Jonas, who's an extraordinary uh, specialist in, in deep healing work, he actually thinks that an immense part of what takes place in healing is due to ritual, you know, Mm -hmm. just whether it's traditional Chinese medicine or conventional medicine or integrative medicine, but you have cultivated an awareness of, and I've watched you do it um, incredibly powerful ritual. Mm. Uh, uh, One ritual that comes to mind that you've done with us is, the which I'd like to ask you ask you to describe a little bit is when you do the uh, the healing stone ritual and you've brought that down to Commonweal.
4: Mm-hmm. Could you
2: just describe so that people understand mm-hmm. the preparation and care mm-hmm. with the stone ritual is done.
3: Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I I think that ritual you know, again, it's, it's our birthright in a way. I think we're natural, all of us. We do it in such small ways. You know, your your moment of silence and your peace, peace, you know, like that ritual is the Michael Lerner ritual that I lean into because it's it, it brings a much larger perspective somehow in those few moments. So ritual doesn't have to be like the, you know, the grief ritual that you're describing that we brought down to Commonweal. Um but it it it's something that I think I've um, come to because Richard Wagami says this so beautifully that um, the enormity of what we hold, just living a life, um, can really only be held fully in ritual or in circle, like in community. So we, and as our world, as you well know from all your work with the poly crisis and what we're all living with today, I do believe more and more that we're going to need, and we do need, community and circle and ritual to hold our own lives and the, what we're carrying and the lives of you know the the global life that we're all very much aware of. So I think ceremony, to me, is um, a way of being able to hold and express. Deeply. So, but it contains the expression because I think free expression of emotion such as grief, it can just I mean the big fear, and Francis Weller, of course, is a you know such a master at this, but you know, says that you can get overwhelmed by grief, and that's the fear of going into the territory of grief, um, or you can be too constrained because of you know, because of that fear, so it's like overwhelm versus restriction. So ceremony allows you to contain the the emotions of grief and to use what I think of as these um, beautiful uh, gifts of nature. So we use a lot of gifts of nature um, to help us with these rituals. So in the ritual that you're talking about, Michael, when we came down to Commonweal, we had 40 people in the room doing a grief ritual. And Um, Just a shout out to Alison, who's on, I think, on the line, my colleague here, uh, who's our art director and a a huge ceremonialist in her own right. We spent the evening before we set up that, when we were setting up the rituals, what you were saying about the care that it takes to set up a ritual is very, very important. Even if you're putting a candle and a centerpiece in the middle of a healing circle, you do that with a lot of um, specificity and, you know, real thought and care because it really matters that holding that sacred center. So we spent, I can remember we were up late because we brought a whole bunch. No, we got Mary Liz, who lives close by in Mill Valley, or did at that time. We, she went to the quarry and bought, got all these river rocks. And so there we were sorting river rocks because we wanted to have a certain number because we had 40 people and you're trying to hold a circle for 40 people's grief. So we were laying them out and we'd shift. And then at one point the carpet wasn't straight. So we took them all off. And I mean, this is, we laugh at ourselves, but there's something about that. And I go back to the placing the standing stones. Did they say, which one should go in the center? And, you know, which ones at Calendash should go in this part of the circle? Like it's a very intuitive process of, setting it up in a way that then somehow sets a kind of energetic is how I think of it and we had we have the big kind of cauldron that we had brought down from Kalanish which holds it's an Indian puja bowl that holds again offerings and it holds water and it's in the center of this beautiful circle of stones that you know beautiful colors and and then you know And again, this ritual has evolved over time. We used to do it with paper. (laughs) So again, the rituals kind of inform you in a way. They say, oh, now I think we should move it in this direction. It's very interesting. It holds a kind of intelligence, I think. And so we were able to sit, and you were in that circle that day, Michael, with um, people that we didn't know necessarily, which again can feel risky. You know, what are people carrying? Are they carrying trauma, PTSD? Like, can we trust grief enough to say, bring it here and we'll hold it, you know, to our heart and say, holy, which is really the invitation. So with the rocks, we just invite people to name their losses. So losses and griefs, it could be of people, of aspects of yourself, things that you've had to let go of and that will never be coming back, things that you're temporarily letting go of. And so people would take six or eight or 10 rocks and and write a word. And what I think that does is it it takes what's inside and it starts to shift it outside in awareness. So then you see the rocks, you hold the rocks and they have words on them. And you say, oh, there's my loss. So you're beginning to hold your own losses in a way that you can see and understand them. You're saying, here here are my, this is my load, you know? And, uh, and I remember um, the man who, you know, who had to grieve his three comrades who he had fought with in the Vietnam War and Billy and his, you know, he, he gave me permission to tell his story publicly. And I wrote about this, but, you know, that was a profound moment in that circle where this man who had carried the death of his three friends and he had three rocks only in his hand. I remember looking at him. I'd never met him before, but I could feel the weight of those three. And they had the names of his three friends. And I can remember the moment where we invited people to, if they wanted to, place the rocks together in this water. Of course, water is such a beautiful symbol of sadness and tears. And I remember he he almost crawled to that, to that bowl in the center. And he placed them in. I can remember hear, hearing them clunk into the water as they joined all the other losses. And then he went back to his seat and he started to shake. And this is where the the presence, can we sit through that? You know, I think we can have also oh, what's happening to him. Is he okay? And you know, there, there's, so when I look around, I saw the other people, the other space holders, there are many commonweal people there who I know, you know, Jennifer and others who I feel like are so kindred could hold it that 40 people. It wasn't just our team holding that. It was all of the people who've been in circle after circle. And he sh- he started to shake. And I remember I actually was sitting, I think I was sitting next to him. I happened to be in I remember just putting my hand on him just quietly. The whole circle stopped in the moment of his him having his experience. And we didn't know what that was other than it was extremely intense. And then I remember Steve, you know, from Langley, he got up, he walked around behind the circle slowly. And this is the the, the grace that happens in ceremony where, that you cannot predict, you can't anticipate, but you can trust deeply I've learned to trust it. He came right down round behind. And I remember he put his arms, you know, under Billy's, un, under his armpits, and he held on to him from behind.
4: And, and he again, was, he was, a,
3: he was a Vietnam vet also. Yeah. So this was the PTSD uh, releasing. This was the trauma. And we ended up after that ceremony, he asked if he could bury those rocks on the land at Commonweal. So I, I use that as an example of saying, you know, we, we long for a place to lay down our burdens and to take them outside of ourselves and say, this grief is universal. These are my particular um, sorrows, but these are yours. And I, I want to hear about them. I want to receive them, even if it's in a rock, even if it's, you know, in words. So these ceremonies, um, they seem to be coming now more and more um, for us here at Kalanish. and. And I, I, I really honor them, um, that the way that they appear in our midst. And I think that, again, in the creative mind, I, I often think of Smith Center as my creative um, inspiration. When I walked into the Smith Center for the first time and saw their gallery, that the first thing you meet is an art gallery. It's like it just really moves me, that the commitment to the creative um, at Smith Center. So kudos to all of you there, um, just that, that this this creative um, force is really the life force and it so you can be very, very ill and you can touch a piece of clay or you can you know put color on a page and you can feel your connection to your life force, which I think is what the retreat does so often. It helps people reawaken their senses. So they do this work of uncovering the layers, letting down the burdens. And then suddenly in behind that comes an energy of inspiration, an energy of, you know, there's a kind of waking up. And so the joy is really close behind that, you know, uh, behind that or underneath that pain. So if we truly, even if it's one-on-one or in a circle or in all the ways that we do hold a space for people to lay down what they need to, then it's, they meet themselves because they can then begin to trust their own, emotion, their own, um, you know, their own ability to touch this tender and difficult, um, these difficult aspects of life, incredibly challenging aspects of life. And then they remember the other aspects they still have that has gone that have gone missing. So we see that so much, I'm, I'm sure at Commonweal, I know at Commonweal, the joy, you know, something else starts to move this, um, this connection to life. And so if we can die with a connection to life, what a, what an incredible thing to know ourselves at the end of our life and to know who we are and to know that we can trust the depth of our emotion. And so ceremony just creates a a, a very sacred space for that, for the holding that we do in every circle and every group. And I think the ceremony just adds a layer, I think, of safety and beauty, uh, which I think helps everything. And uh, and then this kind of courage that comes when people go before us to say, here are my sorrows. Oh, OK, maybe I can put my sorrows in the circle with courage. We give each other courage. So that's a long answer to your question about ceremony, but it's truly, it's truly capturing me more and more as I get older. <laughs>
2: I want to uh again, go to a point about the skill that ceremony takes. Uh, the old phrase, "You know, we take it, for example, uh, for granted that somebody is, quote, "the master of ceremonies for an event." But in fact, "master of ceremonies" has a very profound significance in all the great traditions, And I know how incredibly painful it is to me. When I'm in a circle and somebody freelances a ceremony or a ritual and they do it badly, mm-hmm. and how incredibly uh jarring it is mm-hmm. asked to participate without my permission mm-hmm. in in a badly done ritual or mm-hmm. ceremony. Precisely the power of ritual mm-hmm. and ceremony. Is reflected in what happens when it's not done well. Yeah, and I, I know for myself that when we're doing an event at Commonweal and somebody says, "Can I do an X ritual?" I have to say to them, "I'd like to ask you to hold that for now." You know, I have to have the authority and responsibility mm-hmm. to protect the circle,
4: mm-hmm.
2: freelance ritual which might be well done or badly done, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that Mm -hmm. it's going to be well done. And the impact on the circle of a badly Mm -hmm. done, Mm -hmm. just talking about how deep the Mm -hmm. that needed to hold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nancy, would you join us and bring up the uh, Cancer Choices uh, site for us? Thank you, Nancy, for bringing up the site. I, we just want you all... Nancy Hepp has put over 10,000 hours into this site, and before that, we put another 10,000 hours into its predecessor beyond conventional cancer therapies, and we are grateful, and I have to say, honestly, um, just extraordinarily um what can I say, uh, holding wonder uh, that this has been possible. Mm-hmm. And would you navigate us now to the um, uh, seven healing practices? So Nancy's going down to integrative cancer care. And she you notice there are choices in conventional care and self-care and complementary care. That's how we Divide them, the conventional care decisions, self-care, and com- complementary. So click on choices and self-care. And that brings up our seven healing practices right there. And we'll click on that. And um, so the reason um, Janie and I agreed to bring this up for you is that these? there are many variants on this. Dean Ornish has four. Other people have different numbers. But uh, moving around the circle from the top right, moving more. Now, Julia Rowland long ago described the evidence on exercise and moving in cancer as particularly robust among these. So let's just click on moving more and see what happens. So moving more, moving your body more, um, and let's go to uh, what does the research show me on moving more? And um, so we click on that, and what do we get? We get, um, uh, we get. Uh, where do we go there? Yeah, here we go. Uh, So treating cancer, we've, we've gone to treating cancer. And so you can see cancer as a whole good evidence of moderately better survival among people with higher activity levels after diagnosis, modest evidence of possibly better chemotherapy completion rates, but no evidence of improved response rate or survival. And, um, But going down to advanced cancer, preliminary evidence of better survival, and with uh, breast cancer, strong evidence of moderately better survival among people with higher activity levels, good evidence of moderately better survival among people increasing their activity levels after diagnosis, and preliminary evidence of better cancer-specific survival among people with any level. So let's just go back to the seven healing practices over uh, overall and just look at the whole list again. And we're getting back there. Okay. And scroll down so we can see the image. So what I did there was just take you into one of these. So, you know, they're We look at the evidence on moving, on managing stress, sleeping well is incredibly important, creating a healing environment, sharing love and support. Janie and I talked about eating well. But right in the middle, we place what we regard as the core practice, which is exploring what matters now. And could you click on that? So this is... I would argue um, what what is really central to this work. And can you scroll down just a bit, Nancy, so what we can see what happens? Um, yeah, that's a long letter from me. But let's go to bring us to something interesting about that. Other than here we go, keeping exploring what matters now. And scroll down just a little bit more. Oh, that that takes us to healing circles. Uh, let's turn it off for a moment, and uh, or just go back to the uh, go back to the image of the seven practices for me. You're just above there. Great. So, Janie, uh, we talked about this as a a useful uh, uh, what do you call it? A useful emblem of what uh-huh. we're about. Uh, uh, how do uh, say a little bit about how you hold our particular list of seven in mm-hmm. your calendar. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I think that there definitely when, you know, in relation to what we've, you've described and we describe as the conditions for healing, you know, it, it fits. If we think of what we, what we do on retreat in regards to some of these things that, you know, food is central and mm-hmm. food, you know, that, that is research-based, you know, as we know, plant plants, you know, organic some organic fish, and you know, so the food is really interesting to me because, again, all of these all of these um, categories actually have a such a strong kind of connection to also to culture, background, uh, personality. You know, there's there's a kind of body, mind, spirit uh, level of all these. Um, Practices. So, for example, uh, the eating well. We had a woman come on retreat who didn't even understand what the food was we were providing. She came from a, you know, a background that didn't know what healthy eating was, in in, in our view of what healthy eating was. And I remember our cook, main cook then, Kathy. You know, after about three days, went up to her and said, "Like, what's happening? You're not really eating anything." And she said, "I don't know what this food is. You know, I don't know what brown rice is. I don't know what quinoa is, and all of the things we, you know, think is and and know is healthy." So Kathy said to her, "So, what do you usually eat?" And she said, "Well, I I eat basically meat and potatoes. You know, and that's all that's all I know." And so then when we looked at her in terms of her retreat experience, you know, we were giving her something that was not actually helping her in some ways because she was anxious about it and wasn't getting enough food. So what Kathy did is she went out and she bought this tiny little piece of beautiful beef and she made her mashed potatoes and gravy and some vegetables. And I thought, now that is meeting people where they are. And I thought, you know, we can't get too rigid. And that's what I love about this website, this beautiful opening up of the research base, which I think I mean, I'm always looking for that. And I, I love how sound this, these, um you know, these practices are in terms of the research. I think it's very powerful to, to know that, you know, this is, this is how to eat, but then there's all these other layers, aren't there about culture, you know, people who don't eat Western food. How do we manage that on retreat? And we've learned so much about, I mean, I'm just taking food as one example that, and we have to really say, what is your, what is nutrition for you? and 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 not be too prescriptive because this is the the problem i think with so much of the cancer world is you know you do these 10 things and you're going to be fine of course this isn't how it works
0: you're listening to a tns conversation with janie brown and host michael Lerner.
3: but there are definitely, and that's what I love about the site. It's not prescriptive. It's saying, this is what we know. This is what we know about these foods. This is what we know about exercise. This is what we now really understand about sleep. So I, I love that. Like I love that within an openness to say, who are you and what can we do and what's healing food for you? And I just found that so moving that this woman was eating her little steak and potatoes. And feeling at home suddenly somebody noticed somebody cared about her so this is a you know a powerful thing in all of those practices you know that what does sleep mean to each person it's so different there's so much anxiety about sleep now we have to you know this so all of it then you've got this beautiful section on managing stress you know managing stress about the prescriptive nature of you know what you should eat and what how you should all these things so I think what we do, and I, I know at Commonweal too, is you lift, try and lift off all of that, you know, and uncover what is your, what is your path and what can you manage? You know, like, I think it's overwhelming to think I've got to tackle all these things, but I love that you can take one of those seven Practice and say, okay, this is a real. This is sleep is the biggest thing for me. It's causing me the most stress, for example. And then go into all the you know the research and and start to be, begin to tackle you know this very important piece of well being and health in the midst of you know your cancer experience. So I think it's a, it's a, it's powerful to think of you know ourselves in relation to what we're supposed to do and then what feels life giving. You know, for some people. Walking in the forest is terrifying. You know, forest bathing is everyone's talking about. For for some people, they won't step into a forest. They've never been in a forest. They don't know, you know, is it a safe place? So I love that we, um, I think in all of our work and all the centers is we're very much about the individual. You know, we're not saying here's a prescription for you. Um, But if you're interested to learn about food that, you know, we understand through science. So I love the balance, you know, that we try to hold this perspective that we are unique and that we can't really, you know, tell people what they should or shouldn't do, even though we like to do that. I certainly, you know, have learned about how to hold back more often and trust the person's own intelligence about what they need to heal.
2: Thank you. Uh, Kira Epstein just put up a note saying that if you have questions or comments, please put them in the chat. Uh, mm-hmm. We have another 20 minutes, and we'd love to have your thoughts and reflections, and we'll get to any questions we can. Um, Janie, I so agree. Um, you know, people can feel so overwhelmed by the sense of all the things they, quote, have to do. hmm so it's a delicate balance between putting out uh, seven healing practices. <clears throat> we know they have benefit, mm-hmm. but how careful we are about the evidence.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, We're, There's moderate evidence of this and strong evidence. Now, one thing I really want to emphasize, which Donald Abrams, our colleague, often says, is uh, he says the absence of evidence is not the same as the evidence of absence. Oh.
4: You
2: no, know, mm-hmm. the absence of evidence that uh, uh, exercise, for example, is more than moderately useful, uh, is not the same as the evidence that it, The evidence that there's that it's not true. Uh, mm-hmm. God knows, I know mm-hmm. people who have gone on strong exercise regimes who've done incredibly well with Mm -hmm. their the Not only the cultural uniqueness that you pointed to, but the, uh, you know, the psychoneuroimmunological individual Mm -hmm. of all of us and how it is. Uh, I remember Mark Rennecker, our colleague, I once asked him after he had done a beautiful exposition of all the things that one could do. I said, how do people... Uh, find what is most useful to them and he literally said i uh, so often find that if they trust their intuition mm-hmm. they find way to yeah. the right thing." Right. and he talked about a woman with uh, an advanced cancer who had gotten uh, in touch with a rancher in wyoming who had some kind of herbal thing that he was promoting and uh, she asked Mark about it. Mark called the rancher, and the rancher said, "You know, I mix this and that and the other." Mark decided there was no evidence of harm.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So he supported the woman, and she had an incredible response. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, you know, we talk about placebo in a denigrating way, but in fact, if we hold that some mm-hmm. activity uh, that mm-hmm. takes into action. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Going to be powerful for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what? Where's the harm? Harm, yeah. Where's the harm? Donald Abrams so often says, The lower the evidence of harm, the lower the necessary, uh, you know, requirement for benefit, right. So right. Just that sense that our intuition can be incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We that in cancer mm-hmm. yeah. health. <clears throat> So I'm looking at some of the wonderful uh, comments here. Uh, Janie, when will your book on ritual come out? (laughs) Your book?
3: Yes, that'll be my next book when I when I have time to write it. Um, so the first one took eight years. So I'm not I'm not promising anything very soon, <laughs> but I do I would really love to try and put some of these thoughts down, and I, I've started. So yeah, thanks for the question.
2: <laughs> uh, let's see. Nancy pointed out that our philosophy at Cancer Choices is that everyone has their own wisdom mm-hmm. and make your own best choices. We want to give you the best information. So true. Robert said, I think the core healing that comes in healing circles, that's Robert uh, Ferraro, I believe, comes in large part from being listened to by others in a circle in a non-judgmental accepting way. Uh, Janie and Michael, would you comment on that? Janie, any reflections?
3: Um, let me just, can you just repeat the question? Part yeah.
2: of that? Uh-huh. Robert said, I think the core healing in healing circles yeah. comes large part from being listened to full in yeah. a non-judgmental way. Anywhere. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, yes, I, of course, I, I support that um, completely. I think that listening is a skill that we think we know how to do until you get into a, a circle and you realize what you really want to do is disagree or ask a question. or And so the power of being in a circle where you have to hold your comments and only listen, I think is a, is is really a big part of the medicine. So, you know, we've been in so many circles where people are giving advice and, you know, wonderful advice sometimes, but sometimes not so much. So, you know, what Nancy just said, this, this idea that you're really helping people carve their own path, that's true in a circle too, that um, so listening is um Rachel's got such a beautiful passage in her book kitchen table Wisdom on just listen I have read that every single cancer um, retreat that we've had at the very beginning because it is about the power of listening and you know caring about what someone's saying is more important than understanding it I mean I just think this is a you know again as you said thank you for that comment because I think it is listening is very profound and it's more profound than, speaking (laughs) often i've learned most of what i know by listening if i think about it in these circles you know i'm so quick to jump in with what i think is this or that and it just has changed my perspective so many times by listening to someone's life story from their perspective and with all my projections and judgments and beliefs it just it has to dissolve in the presence of listening because you can't hold on to your opinions when you don't get to express them. <laughs> so the power of the circle where you get to sit, you, ha- you really, uh, you commit to sit and listen is the deepest learning in my life, I would say. Um, I've read a lot of books and uh, Michael's read a lot more books than I have, but, um, but I get most of my wisdom, my information from listening to people and really, really trying to not miss a word. Because of my own noise inside, because often we're full of our own noise. and so sometimes I realize I've missed I've missed something someone said because I'm in my own story and I'm thinking about something that it's triggered in me. So what a beautiful gift to give one another is this quality of attention.
2: Um, Julia provided the answer to um... Uh, Mich- Michelle Cassidy's question, the name of the E. Cummings poem is Becoming oh. uh, DJ asks, do you find the scientific medical community has embraced the practices of common will over time? That's a great question. Uh, I would say um, uh, there is, yeah, when I first wrote Choices in Healing uh, 25 years ago, all complementary therapies were regarded as quackery. Mm. And, and my book was the first to be well-reviewed in the New England Journal of Medicine and Journal of the American Medical Association, New Scientist. The first cut through uh, the view that it was all quackery. And then I helped the American Cancer Society change its page. They called it all quackery and, and begin to embrace at least soft integrative practices. So uh, yes, there has been a change, but it is often quite glacial in pace. And the nature of the field of integrative cancer work is that the research and clinical experience is always moving ahead of the establishment. So while there are integrative cancer centers now in most of the NCI uh, major cancer centers, they practice what I call integrative cancer care, quote, light, like light beer. Uh, they don't go in depth into many things Janie and I are talking about. Mm-hmm. It's the step and people really benefit from them. But meanwhile, the evidence keeps moving forward.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so I think it's in the nature of the division that it will always be behind. Because uh, they're always pioneers, and the pioneers can be right or wrong. Uh, but at the same time, the medical community itself has immense capacity to be right or wrong in the literature on conventional care. So, for example, some of the leaders in conventional care uh, who I've known well will tell you that over-treatment with conventional cancer care is extremely common. That's just a simple fact. And that can cause a lot of suffering, mm-hmm. a group of suffering. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the old saying, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, there are um, prejudices and shortcomings on all sides. Mm-hmm. So our effort, you know, when you really think about it, there are the intensive programs Uh, that are offered at Callanish and Commonweal. Uh, Then the briefer, but still extraordinary programs offered at Harmony Hill and Smith Center. Um, There's conventional care, there's self-care, there's complementary care. What Cancer Choices is trying to do, Janie talked about, uh, you know, how in the Cancer Help Program, most of what we do is listening. Um, But... What we don't do is what Cancer Choices does in depth, which is help you navigate Mm -hmm. intentional self-care and complementary care. Mm -hmm. So I actually want to ask Nancy to pull up for a moment our research uh, on aspirin, which is such Mm -hmm. such an easy entry point. And, you know, Janie, one of the things I'm so aware of is that there are people who have the sense of agency and the sense of intention
4: mm-hmm. to
2: do intensive health promotion work using mm-hmm. this practices. Mm-hmm. It's so valuable for the people who don't have a strong sense of agency, mm-hmm. and don't have a strong sense of intention, but they want to do things that are good for them. Yeah. So my brother, who's an oncologist, He is the one who said, "Yeah, aspirin is really useful." So, you if you look at aspirin in our research (laughs) therapies, so uh, this is, um, and you look at this incredible rating system which uh, Nancy developed. You know, we give a ranking for treating the cancer, optimizing your body terrain, managing side effects, reducing cancer risk, used by integrative oncology experts. Safety and affordability well, aspirin is an incredibly easy place for somebody who doesn't have a lot of sense of agency and not uh the ability or the intention to do a strong health promotion program uh, to uh to do something really useful to themselves so let's go down to metformin and do the same thing, and again uh uh, oh, wait a minute. It was melatonin that we wanted to go to, wasn't it? No. Yeah. It was melatonin. Right. And look at this. This surprised Nancy, and it surprised me. You know, it, it, with the five, the highest rating. It gets a five for treating cancer. It gets a four for optimizing your body terrain. Uh, it gets a five for managing side effects, four for reducing cancer risk four used by integrative oncologists, safety four, affordability five. Well, that's incredible. I mm-hmm. didn't know that point mm-hmm. to answer all this word, mm-hmm. uh, And so, you know, those are two. So let's go now to vitamin D, uh, which is really interesting. And uh, again, it gets a five for treating cancer, a five for optimizing your body terrain, A three from managing side effects and reducing cancer risk of five. So again, it's very high. But Nancy, if you could come on verbally for a minute, because you discovered something really interesting. Uh, Tell us about the subtlety that you discovered on vitamin D, which is really important.
1: Uh, We discovered that for just about everybody, Um, having a deficiency in vitamin D is very harmful in terms of cancer risk and cancer survival. Mm -hmm. However, there is an upper limit, especially for men, that having levels that are too high also increases your risk.
2: And it, it increases prostate and lung cancer risk. Is that right? Yes. Specifically. So this is the level of subtlety that we get to. And these are the things we don't cover in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or certainly not in depth. I do some on it. Mm-hmm. And in individual sessions, I will pull this up and do and show people how to use it. But mm-hmm. we don't focus on this. We, As with you, we focus mm-hmm. on yep on psycho-spiritual healing and, right. and all those things mm-hmm. uh, and in healing circles we don't focus on it although we can through learning circles you know mm-hmm. purpose of cancer choices is to be the place where people can get that information and mm-hmm. in. wonderful yeah and nancy we can't thank you enough for mm-hmm. that
3: thank you so much yeah. wonderful resource
2: We'll go back to Catherine Gale, when my husband passed at 1015, friends around the country uh, lit candles at their altars for the sake of one we love and are losing uh, by Phyllis Cole D. I guess I believe it carried him peacefully out of this embodied life. Mm -hmm. And Julia said, yeah, what a beautiful and moving ritual for Mm -hmm. Catherine Gale. And the new schools reminding us. Uh, Robert Ferraro reminds us. Thank you for your response. Listening is essential. My mm. quick comment went more to the power of being listened to. Mm. Yeah, to be really heard is such a wonderful experience.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: That's where I find my healing in circles. Mm-hmm. Thoughts about the power of being heard. Mm. Yeah.
3: Well. Thanks, Rob. Nice to nice to think of you there. Um, haven't seen you for some time, but um, yes, e- I mean equally, the power of being heard is again. I think when we when we speak about the medicine, if if someone can truly hear us, it, it it is it is the mirror that reflects back that we're okay. You know, we're okay just as we are, and all of our life experiences and our responses to the world. Are accepted by that person sitting in front of you or across from you or in. And so it's a very uh, hard, I think, as anxiety goes up in our world, we're becoming really less good at listening to one another because the noise inside um, is so great. I remember when I went to Spirit Rock. Um, for one of my first meditation retreats there. And I remember sit, someone said, sit in the first or second row of, you know, 100 people, because there you will feel the presence of people who have less noise inside because of their meditation practice. And I had never experienced anything like it in my life, sitting among a group of serious, longtime meditators. And it was like that. There was a, There was a spaciousness around me um, because you can feel the noise in the person listening, can't you? I mean, you can really, you can really feel it. You're trying to express yourself and you feel in front of you as someone who is very preoccupied. And of course, we're all extremely preoccupied. So what do we need to do to find this space inside? And I think the the more time spent in circles, the more i've I've learned how to do that, you know, to just empty out for that time. And it's it is like that. Can I just put all of that to the side, you know, and and bring my presence? So I love the question, Rob, and I I think being listened to is profoundly important, and and quite as you said, quite hard to come by outside of these sacred circles and uh, relationships that we have. And thank goodness we do have them, because then we we come we become better listeners. I think when we understand what being heard feels like.
2: Thank you, Janie. Lauren Doyle uh, asked a great question. Can you review how to navigate the therapy evaluation screen, please? Lauren, um, we have spent so much time trying to make cancer choices as easy to navigate as possible. We're still working on it. But here's what I would say to you, Lauren, and to all of you. Cancer choices is quite encyclopedic, okay? And the nature of an encyclopedia is that before you can use it well, you kind of have to figure out uh, how to navigate it. So um, Nancy just put up, Cancer Choices has a handbook, how to integrate your choices. Uh, And you can go to that. Um, But uh, it takes, uh, I would just be willing to recognize, it's like looking at a new map. And I would just be willing to take some time saying, okay, I'm not going to figure this out right away and just start exploring and pushing things that you're looking for. There is a search button up at the top that can really help. The other thing, and we'd love to make this better, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of any page, there's a whole list of specific links down at the bottom, which I find really useful. Uh, but we're constantly trying to improve the navigation. And just because it is quite encyclopedic, uh, it it is helpful to be willing to take a little time to. And then once you understand it, it gets uh, much easier to navigate. And Nancy has how to integrate your choices, including, this is the answer to Sudhi Solomon, including finding integrative oncologists and other professionals, So Sudi, what I would uh, say, oh, also Laura Paul points out, you can request help from a volunteer guide on the Cancer Choices website. That's a critical point. And uh, Lauren, thank you. Society for Integrative Oncology can be a source. Absolutely. It's an excellent source. Uh, And we uh, work closely with the Society for Integrative Oncology. Julia writes, is a long-term quality of life researcher as well as psycho-oncology clinician, I've learned time and again there is something profoundly and deeply healing about being able to tell one's story to be heard and witnessed. She's mm. backing up what Rob Ferraro was. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so um, those, and one thing I will say about finding an uh, integrative oncologist, there aren't a lot of of conventional oncologists who are deeply integrative. So usually what is involved, uh, for my money, is I would not, honestly, I would not pick your oncologist based on whether they're integrative, nor would I pick your surgeon. Mm. What I really want is the best oncologist for your uh, type of cancer and the best surgeon or radiation oncologist they have their hands full simply staying on top of the literature mm-hmm. and find someone that you feel has your best interests in heart and is just good at it. Then I tend uh, to look for the integrative piece with people who specialize in that. And so uh, there is a society for uh, naturopathic oncologists on cap. I think it's called, maybe somebody can put up the link. Um, and we and they have a list of naturopathic oncologists who have completed their training. And uh, we've worked closely with the naturopathic oncology community as well as with the Society for Integrative oncology. So the Society for Integrative Oncology will have the more conservative uh, people there we go, Nancy help put it up. Uh, you'll get the more conservative, uh, integrative oncologists, mostly more from mainstream medicine, and ONCAP is a really good place uh, to get the um, naturopathic oncologists. Remember to look for the ones who've completed the whole training, um, and we find some of them to be really helpful. And also, there's so many other uh, areas. Uh, you know, a really first-rate traditional Chinese medicine practitioner is an incredible resource. There's so many others. Um, so uh, it's sadly not a one size fits all. We have to find our way. Mm-hmm. So, with that, uh, Janie, coming back to you at the end of this lovely mm-hmm. time, no. uh, I just feel so blessed by our partnership. I feel so blessed that so many of our colleagues for Smith Center were on Lisa Sims. Mm-hmm. Our extraordinary yeah. Director, yeah. Uh, and Julia Rowland and all our colleagues at the Smith Center and all our friends from around the country, our Cancer Help Program alumni, uh, your colleagues from calanish uh, what a blessing to uh, come together. Mm-hmm. Any any last reflections from you uh, yeah. about? Uh,
3: Well, I'm going to read a poem, which is my reflection, because I think that my underlying message is uh, to really, we were talking about listening, trust the person in front of you to know their way. Just what you said, Michael, that if we can really trust that they have, you know, with our support. Um, So this is a great poem I found this morning. I hadn't read for a while. And I'll just, it's a a short poem because I know we're out of time. It's called If I Sing by Martin Jude Farewell. If I sing, I weep. If I sing joy, even sing joy, I weep. If I weep, if I weep, if cries splatter from me, if I sputter, snot, and spit down my chin, my shirt, your shirt, if I shake and shake, until you fear, I'll shake apart. Don't be afraid for me. Don't be ashamed, I will not break from this. Will not die, but from lack of it, from the closing. And I will not close anymore, will not deny anymore the child I was who could not cry out, has kept crying in me. And now that I can cry, I will sing. Even if my song comes shoved out on the wave of snot and spit, I swallowed not to cry. I will sing. I love that poem. (laughs) Because it's sort of all of it, you know, receive all of it and don't be afraid for me. I will not break. You know, that's really what we do, isn't it? Give people faith that, you know, they they have what they need and you can cover me in snot and spit and I'll sit through it all and say thank you. Yeah. Thank you for this time, Michael. It's always such a blessing.
2: Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you who've been with us. Uh, it's such a profound joy. 54 of us on, mm. 2 plus 54 is 108, which is a magical number. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, we're just the right number of us on. And um, Bless you all, and please spread the good news. Uh, Spread the good news about Cancer Choices so that people you know hear about it. Um, uh, We really want, um, who is the author of If I Sing? Uh,
3: Martin Jude Farrowell, F A R A well
2: Farrowell, If I Sing, yeah. Yeah. So bless you all for being with us, Janie. Uh, And Kira, back to you.
1: Thank you so much, Michael and Jane. It's a really great conversation. Just a reminder, if you want to re-watch or re-listen to the conversation or if you want to share it with other people, we will have the recordings posted and produced. And if you're on the New School or the Cancer Choices mailing list or if you follow the New School feeds on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, you'll be notified when the recordings are posted. So thank you all so much for being with us at the New School at Commonweal today. And we will see you next time, everybody.
0: You've been listening to a TNS conversation with Janie Brown and host Michael Lerner. Thank you for listening to TNS, the New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. Our theme music was performed by Debbie Daly. Visit us online at tns.commonwheel.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening.